I'm Russ Boris, and this is A Track. Our guest today is musician, songwriter, activist, actor, podcaster, and DJ. Uh, his latest album is called The Atlas Underground Fire. Happy to welcome Tom Morello to the show. Hello. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Did I miss anything on the resume there? Uh, let's see. A flag football coach. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I, I didn't have that one down. Okay, thank you for adding. No, that no, in. no, no, no. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. I love the theme. Uh, songs that kept me going and/or allowed me to wallow in misery during the pandemic. That's correct. There's plenty of thought behind that, and we start <laughs> out uh, with a Brandy Carlisle song called "The Joke." So, uh, which side of that does that fall? Uh, I think that one's square in the middle, right there. I think you know during a uh, during inhumane times, music is something that can, that can help one reclaim their humanity. You're feeling nervous, aren't you, boy? With your quiet voice. I think Brandy summarizes that, that hopefulness and that kind of pushing back against adversity in this song. Don't ever let them steal your joy. And there's something about the voice, too, that kind of just brings it all home, I think. Yeah, and the fact that she can sing like like that that yeah. doesn't hurt they can kick dirt in your face dress you down and tell you that your place is in the middle when they hate the way you shine it's very rare that people that can sing that well for me anyway people that really like have that kind of really genuinely beautiful voice i often don't believe what they're singing brandy's an exception to that rule comment so um is it because maybe they're not always singing their own words uh that might be the case but a lot of times it's you know it's sort of a, a reliance on kind of vocal runs and things like that and like the the lyrics or the underlying meaning can be sort of perhaps secondary to the craft or the skill of the voice with brandy she uh, utilizes them both to great effect you gotta dance with the devil on a river to beat the stream call it living the dream Every time I hear it and think, it can't go bigger, it goes bigger. <laughs> it goes one bigger. This one goes to 11. Uh, yeah, Shooter Jennings, of course, is the uh, uh, producer of that song, the co-producer of that song. And Shooter and I go way back. He played in like a Guns N' Roses like rock and roll band in Hollywood called Stargun. I actually produced some of their demos. Then he returned the favor by producing some of my first Night Watchman songs. So uh, Shooter is a lovely dude and, and his collaboration with Brandy it heightens the genius of both of them. There's something, too, about the vocal where it just feels like it's bouncing off, you know, like you're in a cavern or something, the way yeah. that she's able to sing. It's unreal. Yeah, it is unreal. So it's a great performance. She's just great. 
So from one really interesting songwriter to another, uh, you have Steve Earle here. What's about this song? You know, because I think in, in terms of the Steve Earle catalog, I mean, you could point to a hundred songs. So yes, uh, yes, why devil yes. put the coal in the ground? This is a Steve Earle song off of uh, one of his most recent records about West Virginia coal miners. Now, Steve and I have a long history. We have uh, been on the front lines with West Virginia coal miners and played at a, a hundred different rallies and marches. Uh, but this was a record that I didn't discover until until lockdown, where I sort of go on my daily sanity hike. And I listened to this record over and over again. It just sort of reminded me that even during times when we're kind of separate um, and isolated, that it is you know, it is solidarity that is at the root of what's best about humanity. And, you know, and this, my, my, the Morello, uh, the Morellos were coal miners. My people were coal miners in central Illinois. So a song about uh, sort of the, all the good and bad, the, the evil and hope that is the coal miner's life. I think he kind of gets that in this song. I love Steve, he's a great lyricist and a great dude. So as soon as you hear this lyric, you're like, this is immediately speaking to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Steve's a great artist and, you know, he and I are on the same side of the fence. And it's one of those songs that I kind of wish that I had written, but I'm glad that Steve did. It's a really great choice. Um, it also reminds me of the record that Steve had put out, JT, from mm-hmm. Justin Townsero, who had passed. Yeah. And um, he had done a live performance of Harlem River Blues. I think it was on Kimmel or something. At the very end, the performance is super powerful and emotional. And he just says, see you when I get there, cowboy. And it's like the most like gut-wrenching line to just like see the father like speak to his son in that way. And it's yeah. super powerful. Yeah. Steve goes powerful. Yeah. Uh, he knows one gear in that respect for sure. Yeah, he does know one gear. <laughs> so we've got uh, we've got Brandy Carlisle here. We've got Steve Earle. And I think it's really interesting how you're, you're very honed in on on songwriters. And you know, in initially, I think when most people came to know you as, as a guitar player, but of course, you know, we've seen so much work that you've done over the years and how that your career has really evolved. So if you if you go back in the very beginning, what drew you to music in the beginning? Was it words? Was it was it the instrumentation? What started you know the path? Yeah, well, frankly, what drew me to music in the beginning was heavy metal. <laughs> you know, I was living a suburban, you know, cloistered existence in a conservative suburb of Chicago. And for me, it was bands like, you know, Kiss and Black Sabbath and ACDC that lit the fire of rock and roll within me. But that didn't mean that I could play it. It was then punk rock music that uh, offered a, a bridge to actually be able to do. You didn't need a castle on a Scottish lock and a $10,000 Les Paul guitar. You could just play what you felt and say what you meant um and that's what made me pick up the guitar it was only later really kind of in my early 30s where you know i've always been drawn to heavy music first metal then punk and then hip-hop and it was then that i discovered like the first couple dylan records and woody guthrie and springsteen's nebraska um and i realized that music that was just acoustic driven uh with the right couplet could be as heavy as anything in the metallica catalog and uh then i began you know a, a second career you know, as a singer-songwriter, uh, political, you know, guerrilla troubadour as the Night Watchman. And so, you know, 
this record that I've got out now is called the Atlas Underground Fire. It's my 21st record. And, you know, those records are in some ways genre wise all over the map. But the common thread is that uh, I mean every word of it. Do you go back and look and think like 21? Like how? I mean, that is nuts. <laughs> that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of yeah. work. That's a far cry from the beginning and just, you know, kind of checking out Sabbath riffs and ACDC riffs. Sure, and sure, yeah. sure. And, you know, and it's just the, uh, you know, the, the, I was in a band before Rage Against the Machine called Lock Up and we had a record deal and, you know, we had our grab at the brass ring and failed at that grab. And that was a band that kind of did everything that the record company asked of them. And we were trying to be famous and make albums. And surely the experts must know best. And, you know, after one, you know, kind of truncated tour and uh, a record that didn't sell. Yeah, we were out on the show. I was 27 years old and that dream was dead, you know, uh, but I was still a musician. I mean, the dream of like being a rock star, making albums was dead, but I was still a musician. And But uh, so, you know, I, on that day, I remember the day when like that band disbanded, I just made myself a solemn vow. I was never going to play another note of music that I didn't believe in. Uh, you know, and 20 records later, I've been I've been sticking true to that. So you were able to just kind of rise up from that point because there could be that moment of discouragement where you're thinking, I'm done. I'm not, I can't, I, I'm going to give this up. No, I mean, I was done. I mean, I was done in the careerist aspect of it, 100%. Like I had moved, I moved to Hollywood to like be a famous guitar player and that didn't work out. So, you know, I just was like, you know, I fortunately was able to meet Zach and Tim and Brad who sort of like-minded folks who, um, you know, made a kind of music that was totally foreign to radio or MTV with a point of view that was totally foreign to anything that had ever sold an album before. Um, you know, and from that to Audio Slave to, you know, uh, my solo Night Watchman records to Prophets of Rage, it's just I've dispensed with all commercial consideration or concern. I only make music that I love. It's probably why it feels so alive. I mean, that's the lesson right there. You know, like, I mean, I know. I know people who play in very big bands in very big rooms who don't believe in the music that they play. And, you know, it's a it's a good job, but that doesn't feel like the right way to live. You know, that's good advice for sure. All right. We're going to U2. Sure. So why does Love is Blindness make this list? Well, first of all, U2 is one of those bands that plays in big rooms that absolutely believes in every word they sing and play. I'll tell you that as someone who said I've known those guys for a while. I chose Love is Blindness because uh, one of the things that was kind of keeping me sane during lockdown was doing my podcast, Maximum Firepower. Uh, and I had the pleasure of having The Edge, uh, Mr. The Edge on uh, that show. And Do you have to refer to him as Mr. The Edge? No, I like, he used, to, he used to have boots that said Mr. The Edge on them, and I always tease him about them. But anyway, uh, and I chose Love is Blindness off the Octung Baby record. One, I chose this song because it's fresh in my mind from talking about it with The Edge. And two, as a guitarist, it's probably my favorite Edge performance. This is a song with two ostensibly guitar solo sections. And I remember when the record came out, like the first one kind of, it comes in blazing. It's these kind of like fast trill picked, almost kind of like electric flamenco business. I'm like, the edge is, go that is awesome, dude. The edge is going. Then the second solo section is almost like he's playing it left-handed or they left the tape on and he wasn't, he hadn't started warming up and they left it in. I later realized that that's a genius solo. And when asking him about it, he was going through a, a divorce or a breakup. And it was pretty much that where they just had the tape on and he was just like sort of breaking down as a person with a guitar in his hands. And it captured that beautiful moment. <laughs> 
So when you hear this song, solos one and solo two, check them out. See which is your favorite. That's amazing. Being that you gave me the context of that now, it's like pain, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, right, it's like right, somebody's right. falling apart. Yeah, I actually, I actually switched switched them up when I was describing before. So the first one is like the I can't even play a note. I'm sober, and the second one is just help me. There's a lot there. I mean, that just takes love as blindness into a new place. So thank you for providing that. My pleasure. My pleasure. Love is Tom Morello is our guest. It is a track and Tom's theme is songs that kept me going and or allowed me to wallow in misery during the pandemic. Um, you mentioned earlier the, the Maximum Firepower podcast. Of course, you've got like a you know 100 different jobs. So what's what's the premise behind the podcast? The premise behind the podcast was just one more thing to keep me from losing my effing mind during lockdown, quite frankly, you know, and when I started doing the pod, first of all, I had no desire like like on my wish list of things to do in my life, being a podcaster was not one of them. And then when I did decide, I was like, I need to fill these days with more than, you know, fixing plumbing and stuff. I assumed that all my podcasts would be these kind of well written out, thoroughly curated political treatises on, you know, Guatemalan labor unions and this, that, and the other. And then, you know, it's kind of the ennui and the um, sort of the weight of the plague made me just go, or it can be like, me and my friends hanging out at the rainbow, having a drink and talking about whatever's on our minds. So we decided to land, we landed on that at the end. And it's been something that's been actually really fun to do and a way to catch up with people who I haven't been able to see in line. You know, I'm glad that you use that particular word because I think, you know, we've almost forgotten that you can still have fun. It's okay. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, we got so bogged down with the weight of all of this in any number of circles, but, you know, to allow yourself to have some fun yeah. and find however, you know, you achieve that goal. I mean, that's cool. I'm glad you went that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a nice way to have, you know, to connect and whether it's hitting up, you know, Woody Guthrie's daughter, Nora or the edge or Michael Moore, or whoever, you know, like just, I would kind of, kind of go through my Rolodex and go, who would I like to talk to for you know a half hour on a Tuesday afternoon? And that's, that's really kind of about all the planning that goes into it. And do you have, you don't have a particular subject, it's just kind of rolls? I mean, I, I take it serious enough to jot down some notes, but I think that it always goes best when it's much more, when it's more of a casual conversation than something that's more kind of like structured. For sure. It's funny how you could kind of stumble into things that, um, not just that you're really good at, but also that you really enjoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been, uh, that's very much been the case. All right. Here's another songwriter. You could pick 500 different songs. Sure. <laughs> so in the Dylan catalog, we land on Blind Willie McTell. This is my favorite Dylan song, and uh, you know it speaks to the weight of this gentleman's poetic genius. That this is a song that he disposed of. Now, other artists, if they had this one song in their entire career, would be lauded as one of the greats. So this is one he just likes. Was ah, that one's not good enough for my record. Seen the arrow on 
up on Saying this land is condemned All the way from New Orleans To Jerusalem I came on one of the bootleg albums you know, like jammed among another 60 kind of castaway songs. And I discovered it there and was just like, you got to be kidding me. Women in my test fell, and I know no one can sing the blues like blind You can save yourself a college level American history course and just listen to this four minute song right here and you'll get everything that you need to know. So what's interesting about that is the time frame on it, because that's the early 80s, Dylan. I think that was supposed to be Infidels was the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily looked at as like the strongest you know, time period in Dylan's career by critics, everything. But this is this epic piece yeah. that strangely was kind of put aside for a while. Yeah, well, I mean, no one, no one can plumb the, the rhyme or reason of his decision-making process. But uh, I'm just glad the song did finally come out. Now, you had covered it a number of years ago yeah. for a for a tribute record. Yeah, for Amnesty International, uh, a benefit record. See them big plantations burning. Hear the cracking of the wind. So how do you approach something like that when you know you have this deep connection to this song and not that you're going to, you know, you're not necessarily going to, you're not going to be Bob Dylan in this. You're not trying to be Bob Dylan. You know, you're trying to be you. So how do you approach like bringing something new to it? Yeah. Whenever I've approached cover songs, whether it's Dylan's Blind, Willie McTell or Highway to Hell off my new record that I did with Springsteen and Eddie Vedder, I approach them irreverently. You know, (laughs) like we already have that version by them. That's fantastic. And we can love that one forever. So I like to give it my own take with that one. I just tried to sort of inhabit the dark story that he tells and use my, you know, while he sings it in his very sort of powerful needle-like, you know, nasal voice, I use my rich milk chocolate baritone to convey the story. I also, in, in my version of the song, I played the guitar, you know, I was mentioning, I thought that edge guitar solo sounded like it was played left-handed. I literally played the guitar solo in that one left-handed. Had you done that before? No. So <laughs> it's the take that's on. You'll hear if you check that one out on the Amnesty International record. Blind Willie McTell. By moi, the guitar solo is played left-handed. Now you have here songs that kept you going or allowed you to wallow. I'm not sure where this one falls. This next one, yeah. I lost my heart. PJ Harvey's "Down by the Water" is one of the coolest songs, but at the same time. There's a little bit of a sinister quality to it oh, yes, that yes, makes sir, you feel like is. somebody just snuck up behind me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. well spotted, yeah. First of all, I love PJ Harvey. She's really one of the few artists that like I'm just 
been intimidated by. Like, I remember running into her backstage at some festival show and just like timidly going up like, hi, I'm Tom Morello, nice to meet you, and then scurrying away quickly. Um, I'm a huge fan of hers, and you know, she's just a commanding songwriter, former. This song is super creepy. And you know, during times of trouble, I like to lean into troubled songs, and this certainly is one. I get the parallel, and I think that she's an interesting choice for you because she's definitely one of those artists where she's going to embrace everything that she wants to do, and she's going to follow that to the nth degree. Yeah. I think there was a record that she had done a number of years ago, if I remember correctly. I think White Chalk was an album where she hadn't played piano before and then just mm. played the whole record on piano. I love that. That's That sounds like the right idea. Yeah, risk-taking, you know, yeah. left and right. looking over my shoulder <laughs> it just has that vibe that song just lets you know it's not going to be okay yeah <laughs> it's just not going to be okay it's not going to be okay it's not going to be okay uh tom you have um you have a radio show on sirius xm called one man revolution that you've done for a number of years now i do did you grow up like a big radio fan when you were a kid yeah i mean i listened to the radio a lot but that show actually stemmed out of my kind of post uh, concert often after playing a show, whether it's with a solo show or with Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, or whatever, I love to find the rock club, whatever CD rock club is in town, kick the DJ off the ones and twos, and play whatever I want deep into the night. Sort of in, inflicting my musical taste on others is something that uh, that I deeply enjoy. And so when Sirius, you know, kind of asked me if I had any interest in that, I said, "Well, there's only two criteria: that I play what I want to play and I say what I want to say." And they were they were cool with that. So I've been doing the One Man Revolution show on Lithium. I have another show called Radio Commandante that sort of skips around stations because, like one day it might be an EDM show, one day it might be a folk music show, one day it might be an Americana or a disco show, whatever. But I do really enjoy that, just sort of putting playlists together and turning people on to perhaps some music that they've never heard before or just jamming out to classics that I enjoy. Did you make a lot of mixtapes as a kid? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I've, yeah. I always love that. I still have a lot of those cassettes. You know? <laughs> are they themed or are they just kind of varied? Oh, oh, they're always themed. They're always themed. Like, greatest heavy metal songs of all time. You know, songs about, you know, overthrowing Latin American dictatorships. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very specific theme. You, well, you'd be surprised if you're a fan of The Clash that you can fill most of that on with one. <laughs> all right. So this definitely speaks to that variety and jumping all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and list here, including Ed Sheeran. Yeah, right. Uh, so this is a song called I See Fire, uh, which was uh, used for uh, the film The Hobbit. Oh, misty eye of the mountain below. Keep careful watch of my brother's souls And should the sky be filled with fire and smoke Keep watching over during sun Explain to me how this song finds itself on the list. I would be delighted to. Well, well, remind our listeners what the theme is of this. Uh, yes, let's do that again. Songs that kept me going and or allowed me to wallow in misery during the pandemic. That's right. This falls under the songs that kept me going because my kids and wife and I watched the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings movies 
many times over during you know the course of the last two years and you know at the end of one of those hobbit movies this kind of minor key dwarven lore ballad comes on and i just had i've had this song i put it on one of my mixtapes i've played it on the radio before uh and i frankly i'm not that familiar with the ed sheeran hits other than the ones about like how your body is what like shapely or something like that um but this is a jam in an entirely different category and i think it's a really like beautiful and cool song as someone who loves lord of the rings and dungeons and dragons and all that stuff it certainly fits my palate in that regard so you're watching all the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, multiple times. That covers like a week, doesn't it? Like, those are like three hours long, aren't they? Well, they're four hours if you watch the extended edition because you got to mean it. So. <laughs> so is the connection with that song, do you think that's because of the film? Do you, If you isolate it, do you hear it the same way? I just think it's a beautiful song. Yeah. I mean, I, I prefer the song kind of un... Uh, frankly kind of unlatched from the film I just think it's a beautiful song yeah I'm just curious in terms of like when you hear songs in films you know is that connection strengthens or are you able to disassociate it you know that's a, that's a good question I, I think there's a spectrum yeah for me honestly it was on that cheering record I never would have heard it but uh, because it was introduced me to the film it's like I jam it all the time it's a hot jam a hot spooky dwarven jam So is there is there going to be the uh, the Morello remix of that where you, uh, you throw a little, you throw some riffs on it? I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking that maybe just now, maybe think perhaps if I could lure Ed Sheeran into some riff, some like get some Sabbath riffs. See if he could write one of his beautiful melodies about you know, somebody's yoga body or something like that. So one of my you clearly don't you know you don't have a set of rules on how you go about you know your that's musical correct. career. Yeah. So it's not out of the question. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like I think you know you're open to it. Ed could possibly it's not be out of the question. I'll, if we if we want he wants to write another dwarven you know Dungeons and Dragons jam. I am ready, willing, and able. All right. I, I, I mean maybe we can start something going on here. Uh, <laughs> it all started here. It all started here. So do you take that mindset into advice? Because I'm sure at some point in time, you know, you come across a, an aspiring musician who just says, like, what do I need to do? You know, you kind of lead them in that path, in that direction. You know, do your thing. Like, don't be afraid. Take the risks. Yeah. I mean, I think, that, I mean, in this day and age, if, if you know, if you'd asked me in the height of the spandex hair metal 80s, I might have had a different answer for you. But I think that there is only, there is literally only one measure of success, you know, when it comes to music and to the arts is make sure that you love and believe in what you do. Then your success, whether you're playing to three people, you know, in your basement or uh, an arena with 30,000 people, if you don't have that, you really, you literally don't have anything. So um, you start with that and then, and then see where it takes you. You know, I mean, I know that there are sort of perhaps more commercial or careerist ways to approach it. And if you get the right number of followers on the right social media platform or whatever, you know, that may be a springboard to something that I don't. I'm not, I may not be attuned to, uh, but at this point, like I said, you know, 21 records in, I'm just making music that I love. And uh, if people are into it, that's fantastic. If they're not, there's the door. Well, there's something to be said about the trends that work. I mean, you mentioned the hair metal thing. I mean, there was the time, you know, sure. and, you know, whatever, 91-ish, you know, where yes. uh, it was all... 
you know, Warrant and company, and then the next day it was Nirvana and those bands yeah. were gone. It was like an instant yeah. where it changed. I mean, I saw that happen. I, I, I moved here and moved to Hollywood in 86, and it, it felt like it was something that was never going to go away. You know, the Sunset Strip was packed seven nights a week, 365 days a year with, you know, aspirants from around the world. Uh, and then, you know, with a grunge club, they were all swept, swept away. There was like sort of one awkward period, like awkward, like two month period where all those spandex, you know, aspiring bands put on flannel and thought maybe that they were going to be able to matriculate. Um, and that didn't work out. Yeah, I think I remember seeing some interview where Janie Lane said they went into, you know, the label and last time they were there, there was, you know, they were on the wall and then they walked in and like it was an Alice in Chains record. Yeah, and it, went like, from, oh. it, went from, it went from cherry pie to dirt, you know, to or dirt. to, yeah. to man, man in a box. And they were like, rut row. <laughs> yeah. Things have quickly changed. Yeah, things have changed. So you, you have an interesting uh, artist here in the sense that I think, you know, in the very beginnings uh, for Connor Oberst as Bright Eyes was sort of like the, the next, you know, kind of young darling songwriter, uh, an indie guy, and has really built an impressive career over the years. So this is a relatively newer song called Gossamer Thin. What's it about this one for you? I'm a huge fan of Connor. He's one of my favorite songwriters ever. And couplet for couplet, he can go toe to toe with some of the real greats and his music, sort of the honesty and the brilliance of his poetry is, you know, I found it sustaining. Rings round his eyes, tracks down his arm, his fans are confused and his friends are alarmed. His wife doesn't talk, hates when he's gone, counts every skirt in his new entourage and they're all gossamer thin, left of the dial. He's become a friend and we've had adventures, uh, you know, around the globe. And I love that guy very much. And this song, Gossamer Thin, off the record, uh, Ruminations, you know, it's basically, it's a really stripped down sort of piano acoustic guitar record. And this song is indicative of the, the, the theme of the record. I called him up afterwards, he's like, dude, are you okay? Because <laughs> it sounds like you're not okay. And he's like, I'm sometimes not okay. I'm like, I feel that. She likes the new Pope. She's not scared of hell. They meet once a week at a secret motel. She kisses his neck, she plays with his hair. Her screams sound like pleasure, her moans like despair, and they're spread. Gossamer thin, pushed to the edge, frayed at the ends. Especially during the plague era, I think we were all feeling a little bit gossamer thin, but uh, through the lens of his own personal life, he's able to sort of capture a feeling that's pretty global. It's hard, but they must risk it all for love. Gossamer Thin and Connor Oberst here on 8-Track. Tom Morello is our guest. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. This has been super fun. Um, we do have another pick here, and I think it's interesting. We, we, we probably hadn't really gone here to this extent until now. It almost feels like it was uh, we were building to this song. Yes, yes. I thought it was time to, to finish strong. Was it Cesar Chavez? Maybe it was Dorothy Day. All right, so this is Anne Feeney, and have you been to jail for justice? Talk about this song, if you could. She was a lifelong, rabble-rousing, union-supporting, picket-line troubadour. If you've been to jail for justice, you're in good company. If there was a barricade or a picket line, she was playing songs on it. And uh, she was just someone who was very inspirational in her life and in her songwriting. She passed away. And, and so I wanted to play this one for her. Have you sung a song for freedom or marched 
have you ever gone to jail for justice? You know, like, I'll tell you a quick and funny story. I do like sort of a May Day presentation at my kid's school. And when my youngest was in kindergarten, you know, I played Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land. I talk about unions and sort of my own kind of coal miner family background and how they got to spend more time to play with their kids because they had you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and sometimes they even had to go to jail for, you know, what they believed in. And one of the little kids says, well, have you ever gone to jail? And now here I am in like my school kindergarten. I'm like, I'm not going to lie to him. So I'm like, yeah. And another kid asks, how many times? And I'm like, well, five times, you know, and then the teacher interjects and like, well, you know, like people like Martin Luther King went to jail many times, this, that, and the other. But for the next two months at school, I had all these parents like eyeballing me in the hallway. Like their kids are, go are going to school with like, like, there's a convict loose in the hallway, but um, an, an unreformed one, they suspected and they were correct. Now the law's supposed to uh, but Ann Feeney like lived her life fighting for fighting for social justice and uh, just a great songwriter. This is an, an anthemic song that if you haven't heard it before, hopefully you'll turn somebody else onto it. And I'd like to send this one out to all of my uh, union brothers and sisters who are on. There's a lot of strikes going on in the country right now, um, and this is in solidarity to all of them. Have you been to jail for justice? I want to shake your hand. Sitting in and lying down always to take a stand. Have you sung a song for freedom or marched that picket line? Have you been to jail for justice? Will you go to jail for justice? Have you been to jail for justice? Oh, you're a friend of mine. Ann Feeney and Have You Been to Jail for Justice, a closing eight-track pick from Tom Morello. Next week, our eight songs do some time traveling, as chosen by Adia Victoria. A-Track is engineered by Jim O'Hara and produced by Sarah Wardrop, with theme music by Caroline Rose. Subscribe, listen, and learn more at 8trackpod.com. I'm Russ Boris for WFUV in New York.